0: Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We continue with Isaiah chapter 43. But now thus says Yahweh, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am Yahweh your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes, and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them? can declare this and show us the former things. Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares Yahweh, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am Yahweh and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares Yahweh, and I am God. Also henceforth I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Thus says Yahweh, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. I am Yahweh, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says Yahweh, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beast will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings, or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings, or wearied you with frankincense. You have not bought me sweet cane with money, or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins you have wearied me with your iniquities i i am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and i will not remember your sins put me in remembrance let us argue together set forth your case that you may be proved right your first father sinned and your mediators transgressed against me therefore i will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction, and Israel to reviling. This is the word of the Lord. It ends on a negative note there, but it's going to turn very quickly in chapter 44 tomorrow. So hang in there. But it starts off with this wonderful opening section. And this, these first five verses of chapter 43 are included in our pastoral care companion. So if you've ever seen your pastor making a visit to you in the hospital or in your home, and he's got this little book with him. Um, Currently, we're using the the burgundy-colored books from CPH. That's our pastoral care companion. It has lots of scriptures and and different prayers and, and things like that that help us to care for people in various different situations. There is a service in there for providing the Lord's Supper to those who are sick or, or homebound or whatever their situation may be there. And these first five verses are one of the selected readings within that communion service. So I am very familiar with reading uh, these, these five verses again and again to God's people. There's so much comfort here, it's such a great opening to this chapter. So let's look at those verses in particular. I uh, will spend our most time right here on these initial verses before we cover the rest of the chapter. So as it starts out, thus says Yahweh. We remember that again, that Mark's, the the prophet is speaking on behalf of God to his people. So Isaiah is fulfilling his his role that God has given to him. But we also know the importance of God speaking. God's speech does things. We're going to see that throughout the chapter. like Verse 13, for example, I work and who can turn it back? When God speaks, things happen. He spoke creation into existence. So you think of the six days of the week, God simply speaking and things were. Let there be light and there was light. You think of today, how important that is for us with the idea of God's spoken word being attached to the sacraments and baptism and the Lord's Supper and even absolution. That God can speak and say your sins are forgiven and just like that, your sins are forgiven. It's made true of you. A great sports analogy for that is to baseball. It doesn't matter. Well, now they've, now they've got instant replay. Take away instant replay. It doesn't matter how bad an umpire's call might be. It might look like the runner had been safe at the base, but if the umpire calls him out, he's out. What the umpire spoke Becomes the true reality of the matter and the situation at hand it becomes history and that is how God speaks on your behalf And there thankfully is no instant replay to show him that our sins are so great Because he has forgiven them all in his son Jesus So we get that verse 1 that declaration from God he created us he formed us again Him doing the work fear not for I have redeemed you. This is a common theme of scripture that we do not need to fear. We don't need to fear the things of this world. We don't need to fear death. We don't need to fear suffering. We don't need to fear whatever it is that this world can throw at us. And the reason for that is right here it's that little word for, that preposition. I have redeemed you. God has bought us back. He's brought us back from sin and death and the devil. He's brought us back from the wickedness of our own sinful nature. He's brought us back from the the death of this world. We are His. And that is a beautiful thing. It is a comforting thing. No matter what this world does to you, no matter how bad it may feel or seem in the present moment, you get to live with Christ in paradise. So fear not, for God has redeemed you. Nothing, nothing is as bad as paradise will be great. All right, as we look then to the next phrase, I have called you by name, you are mine. This is a one where we can have a conversation as our, a family. What what does it mean? What does this phrase mean? What does it mean to be part of a family? We think of our our way of speaking in our homes, you know, this is, this is my family. This is my wife. These are my children. Um, You know, my daughter, I have four daughters that God has blessed me with. So now God is speaking of you that way. You are his, you are his child. You could also uh, tweak that a little bit and ask the question of, okay, when did you become his child? Which for all. Probably the vast majority of us in the Lutheran Church is the moment of baptism, that we're welcomed into his family, declared his child, and adopted as his part of his family now. For many Christians yet, it is a thing that happens when they first hear the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit creates faith through that. All things to rejoice over. With verse 2, we have references to historic events times when god was with his people so see if your kids can pick out the 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 reference for each of these things what is god talking about when did god's people pass through water and he was with them it's a reference to israel crossing the red sea on dry land in exodus chapter 14 15 when did they pass through the rivers and they were not overwhelmed this is a reference to entering into the promised land, when God essentially did the same thing to the Jordan River that he did to the Red Sea and allowed Israel to cross again. When did they go through fire and not get burned? This is probably a reference, or at least certainly has the idea of what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel, the fiery furnace. As the king had thrown those three men into the furnace and they were protected and they were delivered. So all of these things, even in their exile, even in these times of great need, God was with them to save them and deliver them. And that becomes then Jesus. That's literally what the name Jesus means is to save. Yeshua, uh, the Hebrew name that Jesus came from, means he saves. So God is our Savior, and we're going to see that there in verse 3. This is simply who he is. It's what he's done. It's what he does, it's what he's done. And it's a great thing. The rest of verse 3 really builds on Proverbs chapter 21, verse 18, where we would read, The wicked become a ransom for the righteous and the unfaithful for the upright. So you have Egypt, Cush, and Seba all mentioned there. It's a reference to the Exodus. That God essentially uses the land of Egypt to buy back through the plagues to redeem his people Israel. Cush and Seba are located just south of Egypt. So almost an extension of it in this text here. Verse 4, you are precious in the eyes of God. How do you know this? Great question as a family. How do you know that you are precious in God's eyes? going to get you back to the cross, to what Jesus has done for you. This is the words that we speak in the absolution in church every week. Almighty God in his mercy has given his son to die for you and for his sake forgives you all your sins. For his sake. So that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross is not in vain. So that the suffering and bleeding and death of Jesus, the Son of God, is not for nothing. If our sins are not forgiven, then Jesus may, not, may as well have not bothered. For his sake, we are forgiven. And we're going to see that phrasing even again in the text. Verse 25 very specifically calls us to that. Verse 4 wraps up, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Historically, that refers back to what he just mentioned with Egypt and the Exodus. But moving forward, you can make it singular. He gives a man, he gives a person in exchange for your life. In his son, Jesus. Verse 5 then brings us the promise of restoration, which we've already been talking about here, but this is more specific. Um, Again, fear not, for I am with you. And God points them to the idea that he is going to deliver them. A deliverance from Babylon, which will come uh, 537 B.C., although uh, they're slow in in leaving. And 517 B.C. is another year that you can have in mind. That's when they finally get all the way back to Jerusalem and have rebuilt the temple of the Lord. Verse 7 uh, as he's gathering his people, everyone called by my name. That's today. We know that as, as being us, the name of Christ being upon us, those who follow Jesus. Uh, and again, whom he created, whom he formed, brings us back to verse 1, full circle there, kind of a bookends to this wonderful little passage. Now, we continue with the rest of the chapter. Though. Verse 8, the reference to the blind who have eyes and the deaf who e- they have ears, that's a reference to faith. So the idea that they can still believe, they can still hear the word of God, they can still see the things of God, even if they physically can't see or hear. They have faith. They trust in the Lord. That's the reference there. Verse 9, Verse nine almost sounds like it's a, a nice reference to salvation going beyond all of Israel. But within the context, you start to see it's actually a court setting. God is calling all people to gather together and to stand before him in the court and bring forth their witnesses to prove their case to be true. So this is actually setting God against these people. The the nations of this world have have rejected him. And now he's giving them the chance to give an account, to bring their witnesses forward to prove that their version of, of the truth is what is really true which we know is not. I mean, again, verse 13, I work who can turn it back. So we are then told in verse 10 that we are God's witnesses. So as the nations are going to try to witness against God, and they will do so falsely and without success, we are called to witness for him. As a family, you can discuss what this word witness means. What does it mean to be a witness? Um, To speak on behalf of what you have seen or heard. So again, those people from verse 8 uh, come to mind here, as do all of us. We have been called to be Christ's witnesses to the nations, to share with the world around us what he has done for us. We are his servants. We know and we believe. and There is no other God. Verse 11, besides me there is no Savior. Even in our sin today, we still look for it. We look for other ways to be saved, whether it's our own works, the strength of our hands, whether it's the the, the finances or the government or, or whatever it may be, we're always looking for another means of salvation. And that's something we must repent of daily as we trust in the Lord alone to be the one who saves us and delivers us. Verse 12, the doer of the verbs, I declared, I saved, I proclaimed. And again, Finally, we get to verse 13. I work who can turn it back. No one can undo what God has already done. And that becomes such a beautiful thing when we talk about the cross. It's already done. No one can take that away. No one can undo what Jesus has already done for you. Your forgiveness has already been won. Paradise is already waiting for you. This is wonderful good news. The devil can't steal it from you. Those who persecute you or torture you cannot steal it from you. It is yours forevermore. Verse 14, God is going to throw down Babylon, all those persecuting his people. As we get to verse 16, recalls the Red Sea again, but very quickly turns it over and says, Remember not the former things. Behold, I am doing a new thing. That new thing is going to be a reference first to Persia destroying Babylon and setting God's people free again. But also, as we know, to the New Testament, the new covenant that Jesus gives us on Maundy Thursday in his own body and blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Verse 22 through 24 turns it sour again that God's people have abandoned him. They have not been Faithful, they have been sinning against him. They haven't been asking for forgiveness. Uh, that's the meaning of the sacrifices, that is for their forgiveness. And they've skipped over those. But verse 25, God will blot out their transgressions for my own sake. We talked about that already with Christ and the absolution. That's what it's for. God is going to blot out our sins anyway, um, on account of what his son Jesus has done. Now, your first father sinned, Adam, Abraham, Jacob. I'm not sure who they're supposed to see the reference as there. Any of the three would be fitting and work. They all certainly have sin. Now, verse 26, I should have mentioned, it's back to the court picture that we had of the nations in verse 9. Now, God is bringing his his own people into court to give an account of themselves. And their account is going to fail. God has delivered them over to destruction because of their wickedness. So again, we have this negative ending, but quickly it turns around in chapter 44 for tomorrow, that God is going to pour out his spirit upon your offspring. So we'll get to that. Um, But so much good, rich stuff in the early part of this chapter before we do have a little bit of word of judgment at the end. (laughs)